Today, I'd like you to turn with me to Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 7. Pastor Connie examines the concept of ugly selfies and whether we sometimes might need to take a good hard look at our own ugliness. Let's listen together. You have got to admire a person who puts an ugly selfie out there. This is uh, Olivia Molina. She gave me free permission to say her name and to put herself out here. Most of the time, selfies are highly curated. People know their best angle. They dress up cute. They put on makeup. They strike a pose. Parents, have you ever posted a selfie of your child that they make you take down because they think it's ugly of them? And you did not even know that there was anything wrong with it. So we have a new rule in my house that we are not to post anything of our daughters that they don't first vet. <laughs> and uh, this rule was instituted when I was posting, I had just posted a picture, I was about to post a bunch more and my daughter took my phone out of my hand and said, get that off of the, uh, and she deleted everything I had just posted, made up that rule. But I, it does confuse me because if they're so picky, why do they purposefully take ugly selfies that I would never dare to post? <laughs> I couldn't post one of them. I really wanted one of them. But I had to post of myself. And someone says, that just looks like you when you woke up in the morning. That's not even ugly. I'm like, what? <laughs> I actually took that selfie when I fell on my face. And I was trying to show what happened to my teeth and my face when I fell. So we are in a sermon series called Sermon from Selfies in which we're looking at this phenomenon of taking selfies and seeing what it says about our culture and what scripture is brought to bear. And today we are looking at ugly selfies. Those honest, hard to see self-portraits which may tell more of the truth than their carefully curated cousins. And much has been written about the constant scrolling and social media that can negatively affect teens who see their peers perfectly put together, smiling, having fun. And these unrealistically, unrelentingly, unrealistic views into other people's lives can lead to poor mental health outcomes. Most selfies hide what's under the surface. And what we're looking at today are the few selfies by comparison which expose what is underneath the surface. We all have stuff that is private, that won't make us look good, that we rather keep secret. What happens when those things are brought to light? The biblical word for some of those things that produce guilt and shame in us is sin. Ugly selfies are honest snapshots of us in our worst raw states. And scripture tells us that all of us have the ugliness of sin lurking underneath. We are reading today in Romans chapter 7, verse 14 through 23, and prepare yourself for a ping pong match. For we know that the law, and this is the law of God, not human law, is spiritual. But I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. 
Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in, within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Flesh versus spirit, desire versus knowledge, will versus obedience, sin versus self-control, slavery versus freedom, good versus evil, the law of God, the law of my mind, the law in my members, the law of sin, the ping pong match that the apostle Paul describes is going on inside of himself, creating an intolerable tension a yawning gulf of conflicting potentialities, conflicting purposes, conflicting principles, as two incompatible and irreconcilable natures live inside of one person. Have you ever experienced this? Where you know deep down, you know that you should not do this thing that you are contemplating, you know the consequences will be bad, you know you will break something valuable, to you, you'll break it beyond repair, and your mind is saying, don't you do it, don't you dare do it, but you do it anyway, desiring the thing, relishing it, grasping it, even as you hate yourself for doing it. Has this ever happened to you? Okay, my image is not coming up. Um, I'm not talking about being seduced off my diet by a decadent dessert or giving up my exercise routine in order to sleep in. Those are struggles of the will for sure, but they don't have any moral repercussions, and those are ant struggles compared to the internal battle against sin. Sin, the many and varied, bold or subtle ways in which we set ourselves up above God in our thinking, in our decisions, in our behavior, in our actions, in every way possible, we purposefully disobey God's standards of what is right, a knowing disobedience. Sin is so shot through all our be being, so permeating a force that Paul can say, I am of the flesh sold into slavery under sin. In verse 14, I am captured by sin. Sin is my cruel master. Sin is calling the shots. And what it says to do, I obey. Paul can say in verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. When he's thinking about this part of himself. No list of good things that I have done can offset the sin that is within me. Sin has taken up residence. Not the honored guest, nor the paying tenant, but the squatter. Not legitimately there, but very difficult to evict. What is Paul even talking about? We are Christians. We are victorious. 
victorious over sin. We are saved from sin. And once we become a Christian, no sin has any kind of hold over us. Hmm. Someone who became a Christian as a boy and who is now in his 80s told me, I have sinned more as a Christian than I ever did before I accepted Jesus as my savior. Now that statement is an ugly selfie, exposed for me to see. And it shook me, it shook me for its honesty and also for the lament and the regret in his voice. This was a person who had struggled with sin as a Christian, as have us all. It shook me because I could say the same thing of myself. There is no such thing as a sinless Christian. Sin stands in the midst of the kingdom of Christ because sin is this struggle that we all have. And so we could even say that sin stands in the midst of ABC. And there is no pretending otherwise. Someone said, this is a quote, the more luminously clear it becomes that the demand, and this is the demand from God, the demand requires my actual obedience to the will of God and that his commandments are not grievous, the more luminously clear it becomes to me that even in the simplest occurrences of my life, his will has not been done, is not done, and will never be done. For not even at the most exalted moments of my life do I fulfill his commandments. I stand betwixt and between, dragged hither by my desires and by my hates, and thither by my inability to do what I desire and my ability to practice what I hate. So this is our moment, and we should have many of these moments over the course of our lives to take an ugly, unvarnished, honest selfie of ourselves, to accept what we normally try to gloss over, to take off the makeup and the nice clothes, to stop pretending. And so I just wanted to pause right here in our service for a moment of silence and for a moment of humbleness um, you can kneel if you want to. Just facing the weakness of our will against the superior strength of our desires, facing that internal battle, just recognizing it for just a moment, just a moment of honesty. So let's do something about this, shall we? Let us strive after God. We need to desire Jesus. We need to confess and repent. Let's question, let's seek, let's knock, let's pray. Doesn't that sound good? Have we learned nothing? It won't work. All of those healthy, fruitful, self-empowering, spiritual acts, actions I just listed depend on the performance of goodness, performing that which is good. 
and the course of action of just let's do something about this problem relies on our will. And were we not paying attention to the scripture passage, Paul has already described that path as bankrupt, verse 18. B, I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. Karl Barth says, consider the vast cemetery where lies the history of the church and of Christian piety. Now notice that action lies at the end of our knowledge and our will in this passage. Both knowledge and will come before action. They should inform our actions. They should result in actions that are consistent with that knowledge and will. And yet, what comes out instead? Knowledge, will, sin. It's striking to me that it, all the thinking and all the agonizing of our passage belong to the individual, but all the action belongs to sin. Sin is successful where our will is not. There is only one person in this passage. The one who wills and does not act is the same one who does not will and yet acts, and that one person is me. I condemn myself when I see my internal dynamic displayed in these verses, and my actions will not save me. Do these verses also describe you? Have you sinned and then repented and asked for forgiveness and then sinned in the same way again over and over to the extent that we're just embarrassed even to ask God for forgiveness because the last time or the last 10 times we said to him, I'm genuinely sorry, I repent, I'm turning away from that sin, I don't want to do it any longer. And then you're right back into that all too familiar place of failure again. And again and again, does that describe you as it does me? At this point where the tension is the greatest, where we are being ripped in two by opposite forces, Paul cries out in verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from, the body, from this body of death? And you can hear the groan, you can hear the desperation, the need for delivery, the need for rescue, the need for salvation. You can hear the impossibility of being torn in this situation. And if this describes you and you are torn by this dynamic in your life, you're actually in a good place even though it may not feel that way because you have been honest. You have named the problem. You have recognized the dissonance between the reality of your life and God's good standards. Whereas a person who does not feel this internal conflict, that person has no awareness of God. So my dislike of my own behavior is a point of contact with God's spirit. The conflict itself is a spiritual reckoning where I know I have to answer to God and I've come up short. And the closer I come to God's light, the more the cracks and flaws show. So I just want to take a moment here to emphasize how very good God's standards are. God's standards are sky high, but God commands to us his demand of obedience are good. They come out of love. 
They come out of a creator knowing how his creation is supposed to function and knowing that his creation, if it does not function this way, will not be fulfilled. Paul says in verse 22, I delight in the law of God in my inmost self. Mm. Well, since we're being honest here, I've got to say that I've never really felt that way about the law of God, delight. Delight in the law of God, delight in the commands of God. I know most of you here are much better than I am in this respect, but some of you may share this with me. I think Paul could say this because he was a good Jew, but I feel like I'm way too American to delight in the law. In general, we do not like the word command and we don't much like the word obedience. Maybe we like it when it comes to children and teens, especially if we're applying those words to them, but we don't like it when it's applied to adults, and by adults I mean me, we don't want to be told what to do. Did you see the news this week? The French government is instituting a mandate that people have to show proof of vaccinations in order to eat in a restaurant or go to a movie, things, social things like that. And 100,000 people marched in protest to the President Macron's decree. Did you catch the other news? A man in Louisiana contacted COVID, got pneumonia, had to be hospitalized, and with the oxygen nozzle still in his nose, in a hospital gown, a hospital bed, he said he still would not have gotten the vaccine, even if he could have avoided that whole infection and hospitalization that he just suffered through. He didn't want the government telling him what to do. That's how much we hate being told what to do, and I am that guy. You are that guy when it comes to resisting God. We are sick and we don't want the cure even when it's offered to us for free. Resistance to the commands of God has to work its way from the resistance we naturally feel to the commands of other people that we don't want commanding us. But we have to know that God's commands are good even though they're hard. They're certainly good for the people around us. I want everybody that I come in contact with every day to be following God's commands because it's gonna make my life a whole lot better. <laughs> but most of all, God's commands are good for me, for what happens in my inner being when I'm obedient to God, for what happens in my spirit when I humble myself before the Lord. God expects us to comply with his requirements if we want to be in fellowship with him. And yet we resist, even when that resistance leads to a sickness unto death. So we have a problem. We have a problem. We've acknowledged the problem. We can't seem to fix it by being stronger, by getting better. Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? The answer is no one. I can't rescue myself. Everyone else is in the same struggle that I am. There is no one. And at that point of utter despair, where the tension is tightest, where the honesty is ugly, ugly, 
One lone ray of sunlight shoots out suddenly from the darkness and one hand from above plunges into the dark waters to rescue us from drowning when we are on our last breath. One ray. Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The relief, the rescue, the salvation, the peace, call it whatever you want. We got out alive through Jesus Christ. He does all the work. He does all the heavy lifting. Trying to explain this unexpected joy, one person said, Jesus Christ is the new person standing beyond all piety. That's our devotion. Standing beyond all piety, beyond all human possibility. He is the one who has passed from death to life. He is what I am not, my existential I, I, the I which in God and the freedom of God I am. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, I am not the wretched man that I am. The inexpressible in this journey from darkness into light, from despair into joy, turns us into stammering praise. What Jesus has done for us so that we can joyfully submit to his authority, that's a remarkable transformation in itself. So that through his grace, we can have a new spirit, willing and doing good with joyous, ready hearts and a free mind, not directed by our sinful desires. So that our genuine sorrow over every sin explodes, and explodes in a joyful shout of praise. Thanks be to God. Well, you know, if you kneeled or if you prayed before, you got to put up your hands. Some kind of signal of praise to God that he has made a way through just leaps off the page. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I want you to notice something about this passage. I haven't quite read all of it. There's more. And in order to see it, we're going to have to back up to verse 24 and read all the way through verse 25. Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh, I'm a slave to the law of sin. You see it? One bright note of hope is sandwiched between wretchedness and slavery. Our rescue is partial and incomplete, a taste of what is to come, but the struggle with sin now is real. Why does Paul go immediately back to the problem after he's revealed the solution? Lest we forget. Lest we forget that we are sick. Really sick. We have, first of all, ignored what our great physician has prescribed for us. We've done the opposite. And then we finally consulted our great physician and we have put our cure into his hands and we are beginning to get well. But if the patient arrogantly claims to be well already, we set ourselves up to suffer a relapse that is worse. We are all sinners saved by grace. So for anyone who accuses the church of hypocrisy, all I can say is you're right. We say one thing, 
and we do the other. You are so right. It's like shooting fish in a barrel to church for a, a churchgoer who commits a sin. Easy pickings. We come to church not because we're perfect, but because we're not. Because we need help. And if you are perfect, there's really not that much here for you. You don't need a reset every week. But if you're sick and you need God, and you need him like you're parched and you'll die of thirst without him, if you need forgiveness, if you need the free gift of grace, not because you deserve it, but because you don't, then you need to be at church. Repenting, confessing, receiving, adjusting, growing, learning, meeting God together with other sinners. So I hope that you're able to take an ugly selfie today, to be honest, to be raw, to admit the unpleasantness that you tend to hide. And I hope you offer that ugly selfie to God who sees you, who offers you free forgiveness, who gives you new life. Let's bow our heads. God, I humble myself before you. Help me to see myself as you see me. Help me to be honest before you. I pray for illumination from you. I pray for forgiveness for all my sins. I accept the gift of your mercy. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon, but if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. And again, as always, we pray God's blessings on you this week.